All right. Now, as, as those guys are heading up, and um, uh, how about we get ready for the word? Get your notebooks out. Um, take notes. Uh, we've got a guest speaker today. Very privileged to have a young man who is certainly no stranger to us. Um, he had been part of, uh, I think, GCC Youth a, a while ago. Uh, he went on to Bible college and, and ministry training. So he's a, definitely a friend to GCC. He's very passionate about the Word of God, and, and he seeks to, you know, ensure that people uh, don't just hear the Word, but come to know, um, I guess, you know, the God who changes um, these lives and, and, you know, lives life to the full. So let's welcome up Martin Fong. How are you, bro? Thanks for so having Martin, <laughs> it's been a while. It's been a while, but not quite been a while. You were here last, last year with yeah, us. January last year, yep. Correct, correct. And I right. think at that time you were preparing to get married as well. That's right. I think it was two weeks before we got married. Um, so my wife there is Olivia. Olivia, nice. hello Olivia. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much for having us here. And we'll celebrate our one-year anniversary awesome. in two weeks. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> two weeks, I know. Yeah. Seems to be the spot, so this time next year we'll see you here again. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, yeah. All right, and what else have you been up to, apart from getting married? Well, yep, as you said, I'm in Bible college at the moment, um, going into my fourth year, so this is my fourth and final year. That'll be really good, being able to consolidate all the stuff that I've been learning at college, and God willing, I'll be serving at a church full-time next year. Okay. Awesome, thank you very much. Well, we're very blessed to have you, um, so I'll leave it to you to share the word. Thank you, thank you. Well, yeah, thank you again for having me here. It's, it's a great encouragement coming because I get to see lots of old friends. And I think um, I, I did the calculations and it was 15 years ago that I first got connected when Jolene and Sandra invited me here. Um, and it's, it's a great encouragement for me to see how people are going. And it's a great encouragement seeing new faces as well. That's a, a big reminder to me that God's church is growing, that His promise uh, to save people is coming to fruition. So thanks again for having me, um, and I, I love the privilege of sharing God's Word uh, with us all today. Well, I, I'd like to tell you about my friend Aaron. Um, not this friend, I, I hear he's got a good coffee machine, so I recommend going out there. But this, this friend Aaron that I'd like to share about, he's a Catholic. Now, there's a, a few things I agree with, some things I disagree with, with Catholics. Well, with my friend Aaron, there's also a lot that I appreciate about him. He's dedicated. He goes to Mass and confession when he can. He prays regularly. He tries to do the right thing. My friend Aaron is dedicated. But one thing I'm saddened about when I speak to him is that he's uncertain about his salvation. He's not confident that he has eternal life with God. He's not sure that things will be okay. See, on the one hand, he believes Jesus really did die for his sins. But on the other hand, he thinks that his ongoing sins, they separate him from God. And so he has no real certainty as to whether he is saved. I wonder, have you ever felt like that? You know that Jesus died for you, but you sometimes doubt whether that salvation really is true. Maybe there are ongoing struggles that cause you to doubt. Perhaps ongoing struggles with porn, with materialism, relational conflict. Perhaps some terrible sins that have happened in the past that continue to haunt you. Like my friend Aaron, 
do you sometimes doubt? Do you sometimes not have that certainty of your salvation? So, is it possible to have that certainty? To have that assurance of salvation? Well, I think today's passage helps us to get the answer to that. Let's get into it. So today we're looking at a passage from Isaiah the prophet. It's Isaiah chapter 52, verses, verse 13, to chapter 53, verse 12. I'm going to ask my wife, Liv, to read that passage for us. She can just grab a microphone from the sound desk. And while... She, oh, nice. Well... Well, um, you're finding that in your passage in your Bibles. I'll, I'll explain a little bit of the context as well. So this is Isaiah 53, oh sorry, 52, verse 13 to 53:12. This is written by the prophet Isaiah. It's written around 700 BC, and he's writing to the Israelites. He's writing to encourage the Israelites because they've been taken out of the homeland and into a foreign country by the Babylonians. See, these Israelites, they were uncertain. They were enslaved and oppressed by a foreign nation. And it seemed like God had disappeared. They had no hope, no assurance of salvation. But God promised to send them a servant. This servant would suffer for them and for all humanity. And so the whole of today's passage explains what this servant does. The servant who we now know as Jesus. Hopefully you found the passage Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13, to chapter 53, verse 12. It's a long passage, so I'm going to give you a question to think about while you're reading it. Well, this is the question. How do we see Jesus in this passage? How do we see Jesus in this passage? All right, keep that question in mind as Liv reads out the passage for us. Isaiah 52, from verse 13. See, my servant will act wisely... He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and familiar with suffering. Like one whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted yet did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. 
Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Thanks, Liv. It's a long passage, and it's okay if we haven't got all the details just yet. We're going to have some time this morning to figure out what the passage really means. And we're going to do that by looking at three points. So we'll see that Jesus was the suffering servant. We'll see that Jesus suffered for us so we can be confident in our salvation. And we'll see that Jesus is now exalted so we should find hope in him. One, Jesus was the suffering servant. Two, Jesus suffered for us so we can be confident in our salvation. And three, Jesus is now exalted so we should find hope in him. Let's start with point one. Jesus was the suffering servant. Now the passage, you might have noticed, doesn't even use the word Jesus. So how do we know that this suffering servant actually is Jesus? Well, later on in the Bible, in Acts chapter 8, we see it is Jesus. God sends a disciple named Philip uh, to this Ethiopian official. And this Ethiopian official, he's reading this particular passage. Isaiah 53. But the passage is pretty confusing. He doesn't know what it means. And so God sends Philip to explain to the official what this passage is about. Philip explains that it's the good news of Jesus, that Jesus was the suffering servant in Isaiah. And I'll try to do something similar as well. We're going to see how the suffering in this passage matches up with Jesus' life and his crucifixion. Let's start with chapter 52, verse 14. Chapter 52, verse 14. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. Jesus was disfigured. He was brutally hurt. Now, I'd like to share a little bit more detail as to what that might look, what, what that did look like. But I have to give you a heads up, a bit of a warning, that it's a bit unpleasant. As I read through the Gospel accounts of the crucifixion, I, I didn't feel great. And you might feel uncomfortable too. But I think knowing what Jesus went through, that he went all the way, gives us more confidence that Jesus really did die for us. So what does it mean in this passage when Jesus is disfigured? What does it mean when he's marred beyond human likeness? Well, we should think back to before Jesus was crucified. Jesus was before Pilate, the Roman governor. And Pilate saw that Jesus was innocent. But the crowds, the crowds wanted Jesus dead. And Pilate was scared of the crowds. So Jesus, he was sent by Pilate to be flogged. That I don't know how much you know about flogging, but flogging is done with a whip. Maybe leather, maybe rope. Jesus was whipped. And I can imagine Jesus being hit multiple times, over and over again. His skin would have been broken, he would have been bleeding, 
in many places. And after Jesus was flogged, the soldiers mocked him. They mocked him with a crown, a humiliating crown of thorns. And I can imagine Jesus screaming in pain as they pressed that crown of thorns into his head. Blood would have been dripping down the side. And of course, there's the crucifixion itself. Crucifixion was intended to be the most painful and excruciating death imaginable. It was a slow torture that was public. It was like the Romans were putting out a sign saying, this is what happens to our enemies. Jesus was crucified. They nailed his hands and his feet to the cross. And sharp jolts of pain would have shot, shot up Jesus' limbs as the nails penetrated his hands and his feet. I think that's what Isaiah is referring to when he talks about Jesus being disfigured. Isaiah is talking about the flogging, the crown of thorns, the nails driven into his hands and his feet. Jesus was battered, he was lacerated, he was mangled, marred beyond human likeness. And let's turn to the next chapter as well. Chapter 53, verse 3. Verse 3. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Jesus truly was despised. The crowds wanted nothing to do with him. In fact, they wanted to put him to death. They had no respect for him, even though he hadn't done anything wrong. So Jesus suffered. His world was full of pain. And verses 6 and 7 He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people he was punished. Jesus was oppressed and afflicted, oppressed by the Jewish leaders, oppressed by Pilate and Herod, oppressed by the crowds. But like a lamb to the slaughter, he was silent. Jesus, the Lord of the whole universe, he could have easily broken free. He could have easily prevented his crucifixion. But he didn't retaliate. He didn't retaliate against Herod and Pilate when people accused him. No one defended him. No one protested. Not even Peter, one of his closest friends. And Peter just denied knowing him. So, our Isaiah passage presents a servant well acquainted with suffering. This servant we now see as Jesus. Jesus was the suffering servant. But that doesn't mean the suffering was meaningless. No, Jesus' suffering had a purpose. So we're now at point number two. Jesus suffered for us so we can be confident in our salvation. Jesus suffered for us, so we can be confident in our salvation. Let's look together at verse 5. Verse 5 shows us that Jesus' suffering had a purpose. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus suffered for us. You'll see at the start of verse 5 that Jesus suffered for our transgressions, for our iniquities. Those are longer words that refer to sin. 
the wrong things we've done, evil things. So how was Jesus pierced for our transgressions? Well, to understand that, we need to think about justice, how all sin, all evil, requires punishment. See, there would be no justice if someone did something wrong and there was no consequence. No, every sin, every evil action requires some sort of punishment. And our sin is ultimately against God, who is infinite, who is just and holy. Our sin, which is against God, means that we deserve eternal wrath. Our sin means we deserve God's anger. But what's special about Jesus, about this suffering servant, is that Jesus took our punishment. He suffered. He experienced the wrath of God. He died on the cross. We deserve to be punished for our sin, but Jesus took that punishment instead. It's quite amazing, isn't it? Jesus, though he hadn't done anything wrong, was treated as a criminal. Jesus, the Son of God, went all the way to the cross. He experienced the excruciating pain of the cross. And all that was for us. So what was the result of Jesus suffering for our sins? It's in the second half of verse 5. Because Jesus took our punishment, we don't need to be punished. Because we don't need to be punished, well, now we have peace. It's peace with God. See, our sin had broken our relationship with God. We had made ourselves God's enemies. But because Jesus took our punishment, he brought us peace with God. And still in verse 5, we were healed. I don't think that's talking so much about physical healing, but it's still about our relationship with God. Our sin had broken that relationship. It had broken us as God's creation. But Jesus' suffering healed that relationship. Jesus restored us to God. Jesus suffered for us. And you see that message scattered throughout the passage. It's in verse 6 as well. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's in the last line of verse 8. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. The last line of verse 12. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Jesus suffered for us. And because Jesus suffered for us, that means that we don't have to take the punishment for our sins. If we trust in Jesus, we won't have to spend eternity under God's wrath. We won't have to spend eternity in hell. Instead, we can enjoy eternity with God. Eternity restored to God, joyfully living as God's people. Jesus was the servant who suffered for us. And because Jesus suffered for us, we can have confidence in our salvation. If we trust in Jesus, we can be fully assured that Jesus really did pay it all, that we have eternal life. Now, sometimes we might be like my friend Aaron at the start. We might categorize sins and think, well, that sin I did was really terrible. How could Jesus forgive me like for that? Or we might think our ongoing sins might separate us from God. Do you think that's what we're reading in today's passage? That Jesus suffered only for some sins? (laughs) No, definitely not. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
Jesus has taken the punishment for all our sins, not just the ones we think are small, but the deep, shameful ones too. Not just the sins from long ago, but all our sins, even the future ones. Jesus suffered for all our sins. And so we can be confident. We can have confidence in our salvation because Jesus took the punishment for all our sins. So let me ask you a question. Why should God let you into heaven? Well, it's not because you're a good person. It's not because you give to charity or you go to church or you're nice to your friends and family. If salvation was simply based on what we did, well, God would see those good things, but he'd also see the bad things that we've done, these terrible things. Our sin condemns us. We would be deserving of death and judgment. We would be deserving of eternity under God's wrath. So why should Jesus let you into heaven? Or why should God let you into heaven? It's because Jesus has suffered for you. He has taken the punishment for your sins. That's why we can have confidence in our salvation. Because Jesus suffered for us. Well, we've been seeing now as our passage that Jesus did suffer for us. But what happened after he suffered? What happened to him after he died? Well, we're now at point three. Jesus is now exalted, so we should find hope in him. Jesus is now exalted, so we should find hope in him. You may have noticed that our Isaiah passage uses mostly two tenses, past tense and future tense, one set of events and another set of events that happened afterwards. We've already looked at the first set of events. Jesus was a suffering servant. He suffered. He died on the cross. Now we're going to look at the second set of events. And I'd like to suggest that everything in the future tense in our passage happens after Jesus' death. It's like Isaiah is speaking at the time of the crucifixion. Future tense in this passage means after Jesus' death. Let's take the start of our passage, for example. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Jesus was raised. That's the resurrection. He was raised to life. But not only was he raised to life, he also ascended to heaven. He was lifted up and exalted to the highest place of honor. He was seated at the right hand of God in heaven. That's where, he's, that's where he is right now, ruling at the right hand of God. And from there, by his spirit and his church, he reigns. Look at the end of chapter 52, verse 15. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For the, what they were not told, they will see. What they have not heard, they will understand. The risen Jesus is still at work by his spirit and by his church. He is sharing his good news far and wide. He's bringing many nations to salvation, people across different countries who are now being told the good news. They will see and understand. I was at a missionary conference last week run by the Church Missionary Society or CMS. And over there we were hearing a lot of stories from missionaries. We heard how the gospel is going out to Japan, Uruguay, Spain, all these other countries as well. The gospel 
is going out. Jesus is saving his people. It's at the end of chapter 53 as well. Chapter 53, verse 11. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear his, their iniquities. See, after Jesus suffered the slow and painful death on the cross, God raised him to life. He saw the light of life and he was exalted. The one ruling at the right hand of God the one justifying many and bearing their sin. In verse 12 as well, Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he has poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. It's language of military victory. Jesus has conquered death. His reward is to be seated at the right hand of God. Now, this victory isn't something he just keeps to himself. No, he shares his victory. He shares his victory with others. Because of Jesus, others too will have eternal life. They too will be with God forever. Jesus was a suffering servant. He suffered for us. And now, he's exalted. But why is it important that Jesus is exalted? Why is it important that Jesus was raised to life? Well, it's because we can have hope in suffering. We can have hope in suffering. See, this passage in Isaiah was written to the Israelites in exile. They had been taken from their homeland. They were being oppressed by the Babylonians. So the passage resonates with them because it speaks of another person who suffered. Jesus, the suffering servant. But this Jesus is exalted. In his great victory, he shares his victory with others. The suffering Israelites in exile will be on the winning side. They will be victorious beside Jesus. They will have hope of victory because of this exalted servant. They will have hope of healing because this servant suffered for them. And that's true for us in our suffering too. In our suffering... We can have hope. We can have hope because Jesus suffered for us. We can have hope because we're on the winning side. What is that hope? It's the hope of eternity with God. Our hope is a joyful eternity with no more suffering. This Isaiah passage is pretty realistic about suffering. It doesn't try to minimize it. But I think sometimes we might. When we're going through suffering, sometimes we might tell ourselves that things aren't really that bad, that we shouldn't feel so terrible. Perhaps we try to minimize our suffering. But our Isaiah passage is realistic. It describes the humiliating pain that Jesus had to suffer. Imagine telling Jesus on his way to the cross that things weren't that bad. No, things were terrible. He suffered greatly. But it didn't end there. He was raised to life. He was exalted. And now he's ruling at the right hand of God. So if you're suffering, or when the time comes and you're overwhelmed by suffering, you don't have to minimize it. You can be realistic about how terrible the suffering is. And in that suffering, you can still have hope. Hope as you look forward to the future. 
hope of eternity with God, hope of a time where there will be no more suffering, hope because Jesus suffered for you. Well, we've seen today that Jesus was the suffering servant who suffered for us. That means we can be confident in our salvation and we can have hope amidst suffering. I shared at the start about my Catholic friend, Aaron. Aaron's uncertain about his salvation. He believes that Jesus did die on the cross, but he feels like he needs to do all these extra things to be saved. And I feel very sad when I hear about his uncertainty. But I have another friend, Michael, who's a great encouragement. Michael knows that Jesus died for his sins. He knows that Jesus has done everything that's required. And so Michael's confident in his salvation, not in an arrogant way. No, he fully trusts in Jesus. So when he makes mistakes, he looks to Jesus. He remembers that Jesus died on the cross and he finds assurance in Jesus. And I hope that we would all know this truth, that we would find confidence in our salvation because of Jesus, that we would live in hope even when we're suffering. I'll lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are sorry for how we've sinned against you. We are sorry for choosing to live our lives our own way rather than for you. We are deserving of your righteous judgment. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he was the suffering servant who suffered for us. Thank you that on the cross he took the punishment for our sins. So we pray that you would help us to trust him with everything we have. Help us to be confident in our salvation and help us to cling to the hope that Jesus gives us. In his name, amen.